This is a Net News Network headline news brought to you by the Behind the Line podcast, bringing you all the crazy, chaotic news from around the United States and the world. Tune in to what you won't hear the MSN talking about. Well, isn't this modern, nearly utopian world we live in? where everybody's connected and there's so much available to us. Isn't it great? All the services that have gotten so much better over the years since most of us were born. You know, like having reliable electricity all the time and gas and food at the grocery store when you go there. And how about emergency services in most of these big cities around the country? You know the big blue cities that are run by Democrats that care so much about the poor and downtrodden and public safety. And they're so concerned about our guns and it's going really well, isn't it? I heard a news story last week that it was taking New Orleans Police Department four hours to get to emergency calls. Four hours. Imagine you're in some kind of a fight for your life. You're going to die. So, and I know here in Seattle, emergency service response times have gone up. Not that much, but uh, in most cases, you're lucky if you get a cop. I mean, if it's something serious, they'll show up, but extended times. And uh, so I started looking through a bunch of news reports from around the country, and not surprisingly, this is happening everywhere. In Seattle, about two years ago, I reported a man uh, with a gun, sort of using it to threaten another man, and it took almost 10 minutes for cops to show up. And you may be thinking, well, that's not too bad, but that actually is really bad. And as a former law enforcement officer and firefighter, I can tell you that response times are critical. Those seconds matter. And as far as fire service goes, response times have everything to do with fire department rating and insurance and everything else, and your homeowner's insurance, in fact. So the fact that there's more police stations around the cities and fire stations, because they're always running bonds and whatever else to try to get more money to keep up their services. The fact that there's more of these now and the response times have gotten much worse is a problem. And granted, in law enforcement, a lot of cops are leaving because of the climate, the political climate. But not so with the fire department, although we did lose a lot of firefighters over the COVID vaccine mandates, which were mostly in these big blue cities. And now we're seeing the problem and the the same thing with cops. You know, we lost a lot of cops because of that as well. So this is a story from Denver, Colorado. Denver Police Chief Paul Pazin called the current response times, which have increased more than five minutes. He doesn't say how much more. Since 2018, unacceptable. 
Since last September, Jennifer said she's been trying to get Denver police to arrest a man who she said has set more than a dozen small fires near her home, most recently about a week ago. Jennifer said she called police at least three times, the first time it took officers 20 minutes to get there. 20 minutes. The second time, they never showed up at all. The third time on Thursday night, it took nearly half an hour. So there's your plus five minutes. According to Denver police, the average response time for lower priority 911 calls in 2018 was about 29 minutes. Through the first half of this year, it increased to over 34 minutes, more than five and a half minutes longer. And that's low priority. And even in Denver, for a high priority immediate threat to life call, you're waiting for 14 and a half minutes. 14 and a half minutes. It's just, if you've never been in a life and death situation, you don't realize that 14 minutes is a lifetime. Probably the end of your lifetime, unless you're ready to defend yourself. So going back to New Orleans, the New Orleans Police Department's average response time is getting worse as the department continues to face a critical manpower shortage. The average is roughly 30 minutes, but if you're in some districts, it's like 40 or 50 minutes, said Police Council President Helena Moreno. Long response times have a direct impact on crime victims waiting for help. On top of that, the City Council is now learning that an increasing number of 911 calls are getting downgraded to non-emergencies, likely making the response times even longer. Now the time could be hours or potentially the next day. According to the City Council's crime analyst Jeff Asher, 95 aggravated rape calls were downgraded this year, along with 74 armed robberies, 252 aggravated assaults, and nearly 1,500 domestic disturbances. I mean, this this is unacceptable, right? Now, granted, there are a lot of non-emergency calls that come into these dispatch centers and police departments, but those calls I just described are not non-emergencies, and they should be high priorities, and these police departments are going to have to figure out a way to deal with, you know, non-emergency calls, and they're going to have to be able to sort them out in a reasonable and educated manner. You can't downgrade calls like that. You know, there's plenty of other calls that can be downgraded. El Paso, Texas, same story. The El Paso Police Department is facing a drastic officer shortage, causing even longer response time. EPPD tells CBS4 they have about a thousand officers on the force currently, but they need hundreds more to keep up with the growth of El Paso. More like a thousand more. The citizens of El Paso are paying for Cadillac service, but they're not getting it, and the reason being is we are stretched very thin, EPPD Public Information Officer Robert Gomez said. We probably need at least double what we have, at least 2,000 officers to give the Cadillac service that citizens deserve and are paying for. Recruiting is down. People are not applying as they used to to become an officer, and we have to continue the effort. It's only going to get worse if we don't hire to maintain and also to increase. Gomez says he believes also attributes to the shortage is the negative light shed on police officers in the last several years. Makes people not want to put on this uniform, Gomez said. So who do we have to blame for that? These blue politicians and city council members, that's who, you know? 
they're the ones pushing the narrative with the media, the Democrats, that they want the police defunded, that all the police do is murder people, and nothing could be further from the truth. There are incidents that happen. There's always going to be in any job or community. You can't weed out all the bad apples. It's impossible. So deal with the bad apples, but don't put that on every single other person. You know this. You know this down inside, that, that it's wrong. I will say this, you know, there are a lot of hard chargers that go into the police department, uh, you know, because it's an authority thing. And again, those people should be dealt with. But it's not everybody, and it's a necessary thing. So there's got to be a happy medium. And these victims of crimes deserve better treatment than waiting 24 hours to be contacted about their rape or their assault. The public information officer also says at least 20% of El Paso Police Department is eligible to retire. So if they were to leave, that would be an instant 20% drop. It's the same story in a lot of these departments. In this article, he also alludes to the fact that for priority calls, people are waiting two hours and how it would upset him too. So, again, unacceptable. Portland, Oregon, the police department and fire department are in the same situation. And in this backwards city, you've even got city council members who are in charge of said agencies, which to me is just absolutely ridiculous to have a politician in charge of an emergency services agency, people who have never worked in emergency services in charge. Portland Fire and Rescue's response times to fires and medical emergencies are lagging behind national standards. Without a permanent increase in staff, the construction of new fire stations and organizational restructuring analysts said the city could be in grave danger. They explained that in general, fire staff have about eight minutes to be on the scene of both a medical emergency or fire to make a difference. Brain death occurs when a person is without oxygen for more than eight minutes. Brain death starts at two minutes without oxygen at six more minutes to that you're you're done more than likely unless conditions are just right gary said and a house fire usually has expanded to a critical point by the eight minute mark that leaves fire teams with a small window of time between receiving a call and arriving on the scene national best Practice advises fire staff to arrive on scene within 7 minutes and 30 seconds after a 911 call is placed. Portland has consistently missed that mark for years. The fire department data shows that on average, staff in 2020 arrived just under 10 minutes after a call was placed. That time hasn't dropped past 9 minutes since before 2016. Fire department says the current predicament is likely rooted in city budget cuts to the fire department that took place during the Great Recession. 2008, that have never been restored. However, PFR has been required to make more than $13 million in cuts to its annual budget since 2016. In the last budget cycle, the fire department was given a $147 million budget. Comparatively, the Portland Police Bureau received $227 million. We are 20 years behind and cannot make meet demands structurally, and we're taking on additional programs. Joanne Hardesty, the city uh, commissioner who oversees the Fire Bureau, dubbed it mind-boggling. Yes, it is mind-boggling that these cities spend 
hundreds of millions of dollars on homeless people and other social pet projects, and they don't spend the money they need to on public safety, and then can't understand what the problem is. Cleveland Police Department, same thing. You're waiting nearly 10 minutes for police, a minute longer than a year ago, and 10 minutes is too long. And they have a staffing crisis. They're actually having to recruit officers, obviously, but they're actually having to postpone training academies because they can't get enough people. The next class is in training now, has only 18 recruits, and they have to postpone it because it's just not enough. The city of Chicago. I'm sure this will come as no surprise to anybody, but in 2021, there were 406,829 incidents of high-priority emergency service calls for which there were no police available to respond. That's not even the total number of those calls. That's just the ones they weren't available to go to. That was 52% of the 788,000 high-priority 911 calls dispatched in 2021. The calls involve serious crimes like in-progress assaults or batteries, persons shot or stabbed, robberies, domestic violence, and violations of court protective orders. This is just a sample of the wait times facing people living in Chicago. 213 minutes on a mental health disturbance, 208 minutes on a domestic, 207 minutes on a battery in progress, 178 minutes on a shots fired call. 166 minutes on a mental health disturbance, 198 on a domestic, 129 on a robbery that just occurred, 129 minutes on a robbery that just occurred, 68 minutes on a domestic battery, 98 minutes on an assault that just occurred. Earlier this year, a separate report indicated a carjacked Uber driver had a 75-minute wait time before an officer could respond to his 911 call. At the same time, the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, is saying, admitting, that violence and unrest and looting in 2020 had spread like wildfire throughout parts of Chicago. The mayor nonetheless urged Chicagoans not to take matters into their own hands in this concealed carry state. Do not pick up arms and try to be the police. If there's a problem, call 911, she said. We will respond. Seriously? Don't protect yourself? The city of Milwaukee, same thing. Response times for Priority 1 calls are up 15%. Priority 3 calls, which would be less urgent, like burglary, batteries, or thefts, where the suspect is no longer present, the time to respond to such calls has increased by over 85%. San Diego, California, same story, about 38 minutes to respond to Priority 1 calls a grouping that includes serious crimes such as domestic violence and child abuse. That's close to triple the department's target of 14 minutes and three times as long as police response times for Priority 1 calls in 2009. More than two hours to respond to Priority 2 calls, which includes crimes like trespassing and prostitution. Los Angeles PD, the average time is 20 minutes that's for a priority in progress call. And of course, along with staffing, they've been forced to close a number of important special units. Why? Oh, because of emotionally disturbed people who are more concerned about social issues.
Anyway, are you getting the point here? Are you getting the picture here? All these Democrat-run cities, you, the city public safety services are terrible. They don't care about you. They don't care, really, about anybody they claim to care about, for that matter. They'd rather spend hundreds of millions of dollars on homeless and other little pet projects than public safety, than protecting people. They want this chaos, and they've created an environment where cops, people don't want to be cops anymore. They've gone on this public media campaign to destroy police departments and defund police departments, and you've seen, you can clearly see how that's working out. And along with this, they want to take your ability to protect yourself away from you. You can change this by writing or contacting your public officials or voting for somebody else instead of repeatedly voting these losers into office. These people who are probably on the wealthy side and haven't really had to face situations like the rest of us with crime and all this stuff going on on the streets because they're above all that. Most of these people who have never held a real job in their entire lives, they've just been some pencil-pushing politician or lawyer sitting behind a desk. And they don't know what the rest of us are going through and why they are repeatedly voted into office is beyond me. But you're paying for these services. That's what your taxes and property taxes are supposed to go to. So you need to demand accountability from these people. Or vote them out of office. We all see the conditions on the streets of these cities around the country, and it's deplorable. It's unacceptable. This is America. This isn't a third world country. But if you drove around the city streets, you would think it is a third world country. I remember going to Tijuana, Mexico in the 80s with my wife, and she was crying because of the conditions that some of the people were living in outside in tents and the kids on the streets and all this. And you look around now in Seattle where I am, and it is worse than what it looked like, much worse than what it looked like in Tijuana. There's over 40,000 homeless people on the streets of Seattle, and I know it's worse in a lot of these other cities, and they're all Democrat cities. And yet we're paying more taxes, and these city council budgets are bigger than they've ever been, and yet we're still in these deplorable, disgusting conditions. Why aren't they being held accountable? Politicians work for the people. You need to demand accountability. You need to stay on these people until they explain themselves or vote them out. They're literally running our country into the ground. The other piece to this puzzle with emergency services is all the liberal prosecutors, judges, parole boards that seem to get into these positions of power in blue cities where they refuse to prosecute, prosecute, they refuse to incarcerate or keep people incarcerated. And these criminals end up getting turned back on the streets 
A recent example of this would be the mass shooting that occurred in Memphis, Tennessee by a 19-year-old black man who ran around the city randomly shooting people. Ended up killing four people. This guy served 11 months of a three-year sentence for aggravated attempted first-degree murder. And so they already knew this guy was dangerous, and yet he only gets 11 months. They put him back on the streets, and this is what happens. You see story and over story like this from these blue cities where you've got criminals who have committed numerous crimes that just keep getting let back out. It's happening in Seattle with frequency. You've got felons with 30 and 40 arrests, and these judges just keep letting them out on the streets. No bail, no nothing. You've got liberal prosecutors in California, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, who have released all these lists of crimes they're not going to prosecute anymore. And many of them are violent crimes. And it makes no sense whatsoever, except that they want this chaos. They want these crimes to be committed. What other reason could they possibly have? Now, one extremely disturbing story is out of Illinois, big surprise, where they have passed, legislators passed a law that is going to make a whole slew of some violent crimes non-arrestable offenses, or non-bookable offenses, I should say. Police can arrest these people, but they will not be booked. The state's attorney general says that more than half of Winnebago County, Illinois jail is going to walk out the door on January 1st, 2023, because it is estimated that more than half of the inmates at that jail will also walk out the door. Approximately 400 criminal defendants will be released back into the community because Illinois legislatures passed the Safety Act back in 2020. They passed it in the pre-dawn hours of a lame duck legislative session in an attempt to circumvent the democratic process. They were successful, and so on January 1st, cash bail will be eliminated throughout the state of Illinois. The public has a right to know what this law entails, its practical shortcomings, and the serious negative impact it will have on public safety for the citizens of Winnebago County, and it's all of Illinois, not just this one county. Where there are numerous issues with the new law, perhaps most problematic is that it only allows for even the possibility of pretrial detention for a small subset of crimes and under very limited circumstances, regardless of a defendant's risk to reoffend or their known danger to the community. In so doing, the law eliminates prosecutorial and judicial discretion when determining which defendants should be released back into the community while their cases are pending. In a bond or detention hearing, judges are presented with the facts underlying the charges against a defendant, that person's criminal history, as well as an evidence-based risk assessment particular to each defendant. With that vital information, the judges of our community, using their discretion and experience, are truly best positioned to balance the important interests at stake and decide if a person should be detained pending trial. 
The Illinois Supreme Court has held that when determining bail, a judge's decision must balance the right of an accused to be free on bail against the right of the general public to receive reasonable, protective consideration by the courts. The Safety Act, however, does away with all that. It strips judges of their important role and responsibility to both defendants and the public by actively preventing them from considering each case on its own merits and applying the law accordingly. Under the new law, entire categories of crimes such as aggravated batteries, robberies, burglaries, hate crimes, aggravated DUIs, vehicular homicide, drug-induced homicides, all drug offenses, including delivery of fentanyl and trafficking cases, are not eligible for detention no matter the severity of the crime or the defendant's risk to a specific person or the community. Unless the people prove by clear and convincing evidence the person has a high likelihood of willful flight to avoid prosecution. Additionally, in cases involving non-probationable forcible felonies, such as murder and armed robbery, judges may only detain a defendant under the new law if the prosecution proves by clear and convincing evidence the defendant poses a real and present threat to the safety of a specific identifiable person or persons. Imagine the defendant who murdered his wife, to whom he no longer poses a threat, being released because of this ridiculously limited legal standard. Even more absurd, judges may no longer issue a warrant when a defendant fails to come to court. Instead, an absent defendant must next be served with a court order, asking them again to appear and then fail to appear a second time before a warrant may be issued. The convoluted series of steps will not only delay justice for victims and strike fear into the hearts of witnesses, it will place an unnecessary burden on law enforcement to find defendants who they've already arrested and serve them with a piece of paper, asking them nicely to come to court. In eliminating virtually all accountability for defendants, the new law severely impedes the orderly administration of justice. One can hear the wheels of justice beginning to grind to a halt. In addition to upending long-standing principles of justice, the law places unrealistic timelines and obligations on the state's attorney's office and other criminal justice partners, creating unnecessary strain on already overwhelmed employees. The bottom line? The law will allow dangerous individuals to roam our streets, it will deter victims and witnesses from reporting crimes, and it will make it more difficult to prosecute those alleged crimes. The other thing about this is rape is included in the non-restable offense. So you've got a bunch of pencil-pushing politicians who've never worked probably a real job in their entire life, never been law enforcement or worked in the legal system, the court system as prosecutors. Maybe some of them are lawyers, but these people should be held accountable for what is going to happen when all these people get turned loose on the streets. These politicians should be held accountable. Right now, they can pass these laws and do these things with no accountability whatsoever. But this needs to change. They need to be held accountable. They should be able to be prosecuted or sued by the families of the victims when people who have committed crimes and should be in jail are turned loose because some idiot behind a desk in the Capitol building decided that 
None of these people need to be incarcerated. Again, nobody cares about your public safety. And at the same time, they're taking away your right to defend yourself. And yet, no help is coming. Not while it's happening and not after it's occurred. The last piece to this is the jail system, which many of these big cities are trying to do away with completely. And there's a big movement in Seattle area to completely do away with the jail. They want the juvenile uh, facility shut down. They don't want juveniles arrested for any crimes. And as it stands right now, they are pretty much not arrested for and booked for very many crimes in the Seattle and King County area. And I know it's like this in many other big blue cities around the country as well. If there's no consequences for your actions, then how do you enforce behavior? And I know in the Seattle area, their idea is to talk about it to have victims and the suspects sit down together and talk it out. Oh, I'm sorry I raped you. I'm sorry I killed your loved one. That just doesn't cut it. That's not justice for victims. Victims, in order to get closure, need to see some sort of closure happen with their case. And talking to a suspect isn't going to get it. There seems to be a very large push in these Democrat-controlled cities where there is just no consequences for your actions. You are not responsible for your own actions. Nobody is. And there's no consequences for what you do. People are allowed to shoplift and steal, and, you know, the store owners and staff can do nothing about it but watch while people walk out the door and leave. Cops can't arrest them for it. Uh, you know... That's somebody's, somebody paid for that business. You can't just have the idea that it was some giant corporation behind every business because it's not that way. And even franchise businesses of corporations are owned by somebody local who put their money and their effort and time into that business. And we're just letting, you know, the criminals do as they want. No consequences. Not that the cops in most of these towns would have time to respond to those calls anyway, though, as I've already said. So what's going to come of all this? Good question. Who knows? Do I think that these cities are going to be able to find more recruits? No, not anytime soon. Not until the political climate against police changes. Do I think these cities are going to give police departments the money they need to staff up and handle things the way they need to? Nope. Nope. They've got all their pet projects, which is mostly around the homeless industrial complex in these cities. There is a lot of money being made on homeless people and very little of it going to them. Fire departments are in the same sort of boat, and a lot of them will run their own you know, uh, voter initiatives to try to get money. But in this climate, with inflation the way it is, good luck getting voters to vote for that, even though everybody knows they need the fire department. 
my personal opinion about it is at some point, I think that the crime in these cities is going to get so bad that you are going to have, and, and it'll depend on who's in power uh, federally, but I believe that at some point you're going to have a federalized police force come into these cities because these cities are not capable of handling it themselves, whether it's the money, the manpower, whatever. And uh, a federal, federalized police force, much like the military, will come into these cities and handle it. And they'll, you know, it'll be their savior moment where they come in and save the day and restore peace and order and everybody will, as they seem to do in these cities, just go along with it. There's a reason the DHS bought millions and millions of rounds of ammunition a while back. It's, you know, and, and these uh, COVID camps that were built around some cities, we have one near where I live, actually, that were never used. Maybe they're not COVID camps at all, you know. Maybe they'll be used to incarcerate all these criminals that the federal police force will sweep in and pick up in order to save the day, restore peace and order, and regain the public's trust at large. I really thought when the George Floyd protests were going on that that may be the catalyst for it, and you did see federal police in a lot of these big cities where there was riots, but didn't really spread out as much as I think, uh, as I thought it would across the rest of the country. It just was pretty much in these big cities where the problems were. So they're going to need a whole lot more chaos to achieve that. And even if that's not what happens, it's uh, control from chaos. That's, that's their own playbook. That is the liberal playbook. That is the communist playbook you know from chaos comes control so that is what they're aiming for and that's what we're getting and it's going to get a whole lot worse and you see everything else going on so we're just headed down that road and i hope that you are prepared for whatever is coming Thank you for listening to Net News Network Headline News brought to you by the Behind the Line podcast. For more, you can listen to us at the Behind the Line podcast.com or right here on Net News Network. We can also be found on Facebook, YouTube, Truth Social, Parlor, Gab, Twitter, Telegram, Reddit, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and anywhere else your favorite podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe and share.